Have you ever witnessed something so amazing that you wondered if it actually happened? Well, we are so glad that you've decided to join us today because this series on the Book of Acts is loaded with miraculous stories that may get you thinking, could God really do that? Be assured, God can. So listen in as we bear witness to how God empowers all of us to be his messengers of the good news. Here is Sean Smith. If you're joining us for the very first time, we're involved in a sermon series entitled Witness, and in this series, we are revisiting Luke's inspiring account of how a small, ragtag, ordinary group of people turned the world upside down with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we've spent time in the book of Acts over the past several weeks. There's an old proverb that keeps coming to my mind. The proverb is this, if at first you don't succeed, try, try, and try again. Now guess who has reminded me of this proverb or this old adage more than anyone else? If you're thinking the disciples, you would be exactly wrong. It hasn't been the disciples, it has been God's old nemesis, Satan. Satan lost the war when Jesus defeated death, but he was still determined not to lose the battle. And so he set his sights on making sure that the good news of new life in Jesus Christ did not get out. As we read a couple of weeks ago, his first attempt at this was to intimidate the church. A good old-fashioned threat from the powers that be would surely cause those Christians to pipe down about Jesus. Did it? Let's go back to what Luke wrote in Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. They called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. The disciples kept sharing, the Holy Spirit kept working, people kept responding, lives kept changing, and the church kept growing at a rapid pace. Not being one to quit, Satan tried again. This time he got a hold of a Christian couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. And I'm not exactly sure how, but he convinced them to care more about their own image and about money than about the needs of other people and about God's purposes. Nothing like a good old-fashioned money scandal proving Christians to be hypocrites to put an end to this little movement, right? That's what Satan was banking on, but that's not exactly how it played out. This situation was dealt with swiftly and severely by God. And in doing so, it scared the bejeebies out of people, but at the same time, it made them recognize, you know what, God is at work in this movement. And as a result, the good news of Jesus Christ continued to spread like a California wildfire. Luke writes in Acts chapter 5, verse 14, Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Now, one might think that Satan would concede defeat at this point, but that's just not his style. He's one to try, try, and try again. And what he tried next, it may have been his most brilliant move. Why do I say that? Well, let's go back to a statement that Jesus made sometime prior. Jesus shared this observation, this truth of life. He said, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Very few things, if any, can destroy a, a family, a business, a team, a nation, a church, as quickly as when its own members get crossways with one another. That brings us to Acts chapter 6, where we discover that tension was brewing in the Jerusalem church between two groups of people. 
the Grecian and Hebraic Jews. Now, just a moment, we're going to look at the conflict that was taking place in this church. But first, let me tell you a little bit about these two groups of people. The Hebraic Jews, they were Aramaic-speaking Jews who highly valued and strictly observed the Jewish way of life, the culture and the customs. The Grecian Jews, or as they were known as the Hellenists, they were Greek-speaking Jews who had adopted the Greek way of life, both the custom and the culture. So what was the source of the tension in this church? Let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic or the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. There was a major breakdown in their care for widows ministry. That's an easy fix, right? Well, yes, as we will see in just a moment, but also no. Say, why do you say no? Say no for this reason, because the real problem, the real issue was not simply that the Grecian widows were being overlooked or their needs were not being met. The real problem was why those needs were being overlooked or not being met at this particular time. Why was that? Well, it might have been simply because the church grew so large so quickly that church leadership could not keep up. They could not address all of the needs. Maybe that's the case. But I think a stronger argument could be made that this was an intentional act of overlooking those needs. It seems in so many ways that this really was a blatant and ugly act of discrimination. You see, the Hebraic Jews, they didn't like the Grecian Jews. They viewed them as being complete sellouts. They viewed themselves as being far superior. Now, how could the Hebraic Jews behave that way? Didn't they sign up to be many versions of the one who gave up his life for people from all different races and tribes and languages? Yes, they did. They were followers of Jesus Christ. But old attitudes and behaviors, they don't go away. They don't die quickly. Now, when a person is baptized into Jesus Christ, when they share in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, they're made right with God immediately. But it takes a while. It, It takes a long time. It takes a lifetime for the Holy Spirit to train us to think and act right. That's the reality but that should not be an excuse. Because anytime we allow our sinful biases to come into the church, they mess up relationships very, very quickly. And for this reason, we must deal with our prejudices sooner rather than later. Now, the best way to deal with our biases is to recognize them, is to be honest about them. It is to confess them and repent of those biases. So let me ask you this question, do you have any? You say, me? I don't have any biases, not me, really. Now keep in mind that biases come in all different shapes and sizes. The most obvious is race, but there's also age and gender. Uh, There is economic and intellectual. There is physical, what a person looks like. Uh, There is political and regional, just to name a few. Hopefully you don't hate anyone. I'm gonna trust that is the case. But do you ever find yourself looking down on another person, feeling like they're not as important as you are because they're different than you? Do you ever find that you tune out or ignore the feelings or the insights or potential of another group of people? 
Do you ever get defensive rather than listening closely to the perspective of of a person who is different than you? If you answered yes to any of those statements, that points to a bias. Now, we can become defensive about that or we can feel shame about that or we can deal with that. We can own it, we can admit it, and we can repent of it. And it's so important that we do because when we don't, when we allow these biases to exist, Satan is sure to use those to ignite conflict in the church today just as he did then. I wanna pause just for a moment and recognize the group within this church that I'm very grateful for. That's our DOT team. Our DOT team is a small group of people who are working very hard to ensure that we are a church family where everyone is accepted where everybody is equally cared for and all people have the same opportunities. In just a few weeks, our own brother Robert Crockerham is going to be leading a new adult Bible fellowship study entitled The Church and the Racial Divide. Many of you have had the opportunity to watch the first video in this series that is done by Lifeway. But for those of you who have not, let me assure you that this video series is well done and it is incredibly insightful. And I'm confident that if you'll take the time to be a part of this Bible class, that you're going to be blessed and you're going to be challenged. And hopefully when it's all said and done, each of us will be able to recognize how we need to grow to be more like Jesus Christ when it comes to relating to one another. Let's get back to the situation at hand in Acts chapter 6. How did the apostles respond to the Grecian widows or the Grecian Jews' complaints about what was taking place in that church? Let me tell you what they didn't do. They didn't drop everything to go on a grocery run at Whole Foods and then spend the rest of the day delivering groceries. Could they have done that? Yes, they could have done that. I'm sure they would have been stellar Grubhub delivery people. Would it have pleased the Grecian Jews if they did? I'm sure it would have thrilled them if the apostles would have taken this matter into hands immediately and served their Grecian widows. So why didn't they? Did they believe that delivering groceries was beneath them? I, for one, do not see any evidence of a prima donna attitude among the apostles. I believe the reason that they didn't get personally involved is because they recognized exactly what Satan was up to. They understood that he was trying to distract them from their primary responsibility as church leaders. And what was that responsibility? Acts chapter 6, verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. The apostles hit pause on proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, the mission of God, the mission of the church. It would have risked losing serious momentum. This is a great reminder to all of us that lesser things must not get in the way of the greater things that we've been called to, and primarily that is to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. But I also see a very important principle for those who are involved in full-time ministry in this text. First priority must be given to the preparation for for the prep and prayer for the teaching of God's word. I've learned early on in ministry that this priority is going to be challenged by many wonderful people who have their own agenda. And what tends to be on the agenda of the typical church member? What tends to be whatever's most pressing in his or her life, in his or her life on that particular day? It it may be getting a ride to see a doctor. It, It might be figuring out some financial crisis. It might be 
some good deeds project they're involved in. It might be dealing with some conflict. Whatever it is, they tend to treat it like a three-alarm fire when they call, and yet rarely it is. Now, are there moments when a minister needs to drop everything to get involved to help another member? Well, yes, obviously there are those moments. But at the same time, a wise minister is not going to allow the agenda of another person to get in the way of God's agenda. And I have to admit to you, there have been many occasions when I have been unwise. And why do I do that? Well, the reason I do that is because I have learned also that if I will, if I will help immediately, if I will respond as soon as a member asks me to respond, then I'm going to get some serious kudos. And they're going to tell other people in the church that I'm a very caring minister, and that, that feels great. You remember last week we talked about right actions for the wrong reasons? Well, what I just described to you is wrong actions for the wrong reasons. You say, why is that the wrong action? It's the wrong action for this reason. The spiritual development of a church depends upon those who have been entrusted with teaching uh, responsibilities. It's to spend the necessary time to prep and pray so that they can teach the word of God in a meaningful way. Now, the church suffers when a person doesn't take that responsibility seriously or when he or she allows other things to crowd in and get in the way and those responsibilities are neglected. I'm very thankful because I'm given that opportunity. I am given the time to prep and to pray so that I might be able to teach. Now, the reason that I bring this to your attention this morning is really not so much for me, but it is for the other ministers on staff. It's for Marion and Brian and Lauren and Jeff. Over the past year, they've been asked to take on so many different responsibilities. They've been, call, been called upon to be IT specialists, to be video experts when it comes to clipping and editing. They've been called upon to keep up with COVID policy updates. They've been asked to be social media content drivers and event coordinators, and I could go on and on and on. And they have done all these things in an amazing way. But please hear me on this. The long-term spiritual health of this congregation depends on them having adequate time to pray and teach uh, and, and prep so they can do all these things for those that they've been entrusted to nurture spiritually. I don't believe that they have allowed that to suffer in any way, but to continue to do all that they've been doing at the quality that they've been doing it at, well, that's just not sustainable. Let me also mention that one of the most distressing things that I have seen in other churches is for parents who decide that it is the responsibility of the children's minister or the teen ministers to make sure that they have plenty of events for their students and they make sure that they have all kinds of fun experiences going on in their lives rather than supporting them in the best way possible to really nurture and develop those students spiritually by teaching and praying for them. Parents, let me assure you of this. Marion and Brian and Lauren, they want your kids to experience all of those things. They want them to have great teaching. They want them to be involved in fun events. They want them to experience the opportunity to serve other people and to build lifelong friendships. But they cannot do all of these things on their own. They need you to get involved to help them so that they can focus on their first priorities, but to make sure that your students, your kids are blessed in all these other ways as well. That takes us back to our situation in the church in Jerusalem. The disciples, 
They didn't get involved, they didn't fix the situation on their own, but at the same time, they didn't bury their head in the sand. Downplaying or ignoring a conflict, that's tempting for those in church leadership. But the longer conflict exists, the greater the likelihood that it's going to cause division in the church. So instead of allowing this problem to fester, the disciples, the apostles, they came up with a solution. What was their solution? We pick up the story in verse three. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit of wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. To invite the Grecian Jews to be part of the solution, it was a brilliant move on the part of the apostles. And how did the Grecian Jews respond? They could have said, hey, listen, this is not our issue. It's the Hebraic Jews who are at fault. They've got a bias issue. They've let the ball drop. Go ask them to take care of this need. They could have responded by saying, hey, listen, apostles, you're the church leaders. We're busy. We have families. We have jobs. We don't have time for this. You go deal with the situation, but this issue needs to be fixed. They didn't do either of those things. Instead, we read this in verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole group. They were thrilled and no doubt felt valued to be invited in this role of servant leadership. And I love this about the Grecian Jews. They were not just problem raisers, they were determined to be problem solvers. There are many people who are gifted as being problem raisers. They have the gift of being able to identify weaknesses and challenges and issues in the church that need to be addressed. And although when I see these people coming to me, towards me, it can cause me to break out in hives very quickly, I know they are a blessing to the church. We need these people. But at the same time, some people who are great problem raisers, they believe this is their only responsibility. They are quick to share with everyone the weaknesses of the church, but then they just kind of they just kind of wash their hands of it and walk away and feel like, you know what, I have done my due diligence by raising the issue. That doesn't help. What we need is for people to be problem solvers. Let me tell you someone who is like this. It's our brother Ming. Ming is, he's quick to identify issues in the church that need to be addressed, some of our challenges, some of our weaknesses, some of our problems, but he is always one of the first people to come and say, now let's, let me tell you how I'm going to be a part of the solution. Now sometimes he's quick to tell me how he'd like for me to be part of the solution as well, but that's okay because I know Ming is going to lead the way. And that's what it takes. We need everyone in the church family to share their talents, their experiences, their insights to help us be as healthy and as strong as we can possibly be. This is really our calling given to us by Paul in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have, all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Since no church is perfect, we have challenges. What do you see that needs to be improved? Where do you see weaknesses in the church? Do you see any needs that are not being met? 
please let us know because we want to be the best church family that we can possibly be. But at the same time, please share with us how you're going to be part of the solution. Satan is going to continue to try to stir up conflict. He's going to try, try, and try again. He is not going to quit. He's going to do his best to use our biases. He's going to do his best to use unmet needs or weaknesses to stir up this conflict, and we must not let him. We must deal with our own personal biases, and we must make sure that we're all committed to helping us be a strong, healthy church family. How will you do that? How will you help us be the best church we can be so that we can witness in the best possible way to Jesus Christ? You see, if we're committed to this, great things will continue to happen just as it did in the Jerusalem church. So Luke ends with these words. Verse seven. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Wouldn't you love to see that happen here? That's the vision we have. We want to see the word of God spread. We want to see people continue to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. We want to see more and more people come to be a part of this church family. A church family that is honest about their biases, who deal with their biases, and who are committed to being all that we can be, all that we can do to be a healthy church family. May this message serve as a reminder that for God, nothing is impossible. He empowers us to be his witness every day. If you have any questions about what being his witness means, if you have any prayer requests or would like to share your faith story with us, please email us at podcast at campbellchurch.org. Again, thank you for joining us here at Intersections Podcast, where faith and life collide.